This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, November 11th, Notre Dame versus Virginia this weekend. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. We know that Kyle Hamilton is not going to be playing this weekend. Brian Kelly announced it a little bit ago. We don't know about Brennan Armstrong heading into this weekend's game in Virginia. But, I mean, we've been doing this a long time. How many game-time decisions have turned out to be players who are at 100%? Like, zero. Um, And I think that's – we've all been sort of asking Brian Kelly questions about this during the week. It's like, even if you get Brennan Armstrong, you're probably not going to – you're not getting 100% Brennan Armstrong. And Brennan Armstrong, the rusher, you might be getting 0%. Um, He may have to, you know, be more of a pocket passer or at least a behind-the-line-of-scrimmage player on Saturday night. And that, that takes away one of the things that he's great at. And he's, he's great at a lot of things, but that would be a significant change into how Virginia runs its offense. That's why I wanted to follow up with Kelly. That last question, the press conference about that, you had Ian book that you had to protect. Now everybody just imagine Ian book played North Carolina last year and, and he was unable to run it all or something in that situation. And that's kind of what you're getting. You can't, you can't expose Armstrong to getting hit. I'm sure he will be, cleared to run in a fourth quarter of a close game on third and goal five, something along those lines. But, you know, you assume they're they're just going to have to keep somebody extra in protect and uh, it's going to be Brennan Armstrong's arm trying to beat them. And they can mix in wildcat with, with other players. Yeah. And this is a, I mean, it is a, uh, I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say it's a great receiving core. It's, it's deep, it's talented. They're tight end six, seven, two seventy, And he's a gazelle. I mean, it's, it's a really, really talented group of pass catchers. And uh, if they don't have Brennan Armstrong, it's a it's a much different situation. They don't run it particularly well. Talapapa is really pretty good when you see him. I mean, he's got some burst, but I mean, I don't think he's at 300 yards rushing yet. They just don't run it really well. It's kind of interesting. They uh, they really run out of wide splits with their offensive line, and I think it's just an attempt to try to get something going in the in the running game, and they haven't been able to do it consistently. And we've talked about the defensive side of the football where they're just not, they're not very good. So, um, you know, it's going to be, I'm interested to hear what your predictions are at the end of this podcast. Because yeah, that's true. I was going to say the I mean, it's hard to do without knowing yeah. exactly what you, what you have with Brennan. I think Armstrong. you make a good, you make a good point about the running game though, too. It's like North Carolina wanted to run the ball and Howell's a great compliment to that, but Ty Chandler's a great runner. They could run the ball. Even if Sam Howell wasn't running the ball, Virginia might not be able to run the right. ball. If Brennan Armstrong's not running the ball. Right. Not like Chandler Chandler had no, 199 yeah. yards against yeah. them matching uh, Kyron's uh, Kyron Williams output against North Carolina, but no telepop is quick. Uh, and they've got, you know, they've been bolstered by um, they got a whole bunch of grad transfers or transfers on the offensive side of the ball. And the, the amazing one to me is Jelani Woods is six, seven, 270 pound tight end that, I mean, he was, he was ultra productive at Oklahoma state. Right. Yeah. And he, just, oh, yeah. no, he was a- <laughs> I mean, he just, he left there to go to, to go to Virginia. That that's a, that's a, a little bit surprising how that happened, but they have, um, uh, they have a receiver from St. Francis PA and Henry. He's, he does some things for him. Wicks is really, really good. Dar- Darrington is a running back from Harvard. You wouldn't know he's from Harvard. Uh, they, and, you know, the, the real key is Katon Thompson, who played quarterback. We'll get, I think we'll get into yeah. more who the who the options are at quarterback in the second segment. But I mean, he played, he threw 111 passes for Mississippi State. You look at this guy and you won't think that he's a he's a quarterback. And as much as Notre Dame had difficulty 
tackling Sam Howell, they're going to have much more difficulty tackling Katon Thompson. He is just pro football focus said he is, what was the quote? The most elusive, the most difficult to tackle. That's not how they said it. He, they can't bring him down. And so if you thought Notre Dame had trouble with, with Sam Howell, if Keaton Thompson's at quarterback and he will be at least in a sense as a wildcat, they'll definitely employ him as a wildcat a lot. He's hard to tackle. I just feel like the Howell, I feel like it's harder to tackle a quarterback running when the first threat is he's passing the ball a 30 yard strike downfield right. though, too. Right. But yes. It's a little bit more of that, but I mean, then again, Howell did some quarterback power. So yeah, the point taken, I just think we should reiterate for like people that want to hear about Virginia, five guys with over 440, 450 yards receiving on the team. They're the only um, team in college football that has that. And their name has two. If you want to think of it that way, yeah. five guys over that. So they, that's going to be the problem. It's the first time, I think, North Carolina had a little bit more, but it's the first time it's not one guy to focus on, really. Yeah, it's, I, I think can't. it's the team that is best equipped to exploit Notre Dame's lack of depth and quality in the secondary, where they, they have, you know, it's, remember when, like, North Carolina matched up uh, Josh Downs and Ramon Henderson a couple snaps? Like, I'm not saying that you're going to have a Josh right. Downs, Ramon Henderson on every snap. But like almost all of Virginia's receivers will have the ability to do that kind of thing. Yeah, Kelly even said it today. It's like having, it's like Sam Howell having, um, or how do I put this? Virginia having North Carolina's receivers from last year, or Sam Howell having mm-hmm. Virginia's receivers from this year. Uh, it's, and that's why you know Armstrong's health is so significant because it just it changes. As talented as, as Armstrong is, it's the receiving core that makes him that much more talented. And if you don't have the trigger man doing that, it certainly diminishes what Wicks. Wicks is really, really good. Kemp is a slot guy. Ernie's faced a lot of quality slot guys this year. And then Woods is a component at tight end that is just, you just don't see guys that size that are that athletic. So, um, you know, we'll see. And that's why I say it's going to be hard. I, I have to you have to make predictions. Now I have to make a prediction here <laughs> in an afternoon radio commitment that uh, I just don't really know how you do it without knowing whether Armstrong, not only whether he plays or not, but just, I mean, if he doesn't play, obviously it's significant, but if he does play, how much can he actually do, um, you know, in the running game, they, he's been sacked a lot. You know, it's a, it's an unusual offensive line because he has been sacked a lot, but I think it's because he just holds on to the football. Because when I watch that offensive line perform, it's a wall, man. They're not very good as pass blockers. They got a six, they have a six ten offensive tackle and a six eight offensive tackle. I believe that they have two receivers who are, I think both top 10 in college football in terms of like average depth of target, basically like how far down the field are you when the ball comes to you? Um, and they're both about 20 yards. I think they're both right at 20 yards. Yeah, that would probably yeah. be Wicks and, and Henry, I would guess. Definitely Wicks. And so if you're trying to be more of a vertical offense, you're going to get sacked more because it takes longer. There to you go. Vertical, that's a good right? point. I mean, yep. Yep. that's yep. sort of what Cone ran into, but like in a terrible, terrible way um, in the month of September, Notre Dame was trying to be more vertical. So he's hanging out on the ball and then Notre Dame couldn't protect him. Um, you know, Armstrong's running into a, a similar situation like that sometimes, but obviously he's more mobile. I mean, to me, it's, 
as much as it was critical for Notre Dame's defensive line to win the matchup against Navy, and they absolutely just torched them. Um, this is this is the game where Notre Dame's defensive line, I think, has to bail out Notre Dame's back seven, which yeah. to me, and I've been saying it for the last few podcasts, I, I think is very, very average um, when it comes to playing the pass right now without Kyle Hamilton. So you need Foskey, Jason Adamalola, Myron Tagovailoa, Mosa, like, all of those guys need to play very, very well on Saturday night. Yeah, I would agree. And you may need, again, based upon what I've seen from their pass protection, their tackles are so long, you may have to bring some guys from the second level to, to get that accomplished sometimes. Mm-hmm. I want to wrap up this segment talking about um, Notre Dame recruiting. Um, 24-7 Sports has Notre Dame's recruiting class that was signed yesterday, and that's combo guard J.J. Starling, center Dom Campbell, and power forward Van Allen Lubin. They have them rated as the number 15 class in the country, if you would have told me two months ago that Nordin was going to have maybe more like three months ago, that they were going to have uh, the number 15 class in the country, I wouldn't have believed it. JJ Starling was always at the front and center of their radar. He's ranked the number 32 player in the country. And I don't dispute that. He's really, really good combo guard, great shot. Um, ability to penetrate and finish and dish and see the court really outstanding. And then Van Allen Lubin came on strong here lately um, and they landed him. I, <laughs> he ended up re- reducing it pretty much to Clemson and Notre Dame. And his parents are from Haiti. Notre Dame is heavily involved in charitable activities with the country of Haiti, which is constantly getting de- destroyed by earthquakes and hurricanes and the fact that his parents were from Haiti, that Nordame's involved with them and Nordame has a trainer who just happens to be Haitian and spoke Creole with his parents. And I don't know if, uh, if Van Allen himself actually speaks Creole, but his parents certainly do. And so they landed him and then Dom Campbell's list is a three-star, but this is a, I love his film, a fast rising guy, a wide body, six, eight, six, nine guy that does a lot of real positive things. Um, you know, in the paint offensively, it's a heck of a class. It's really a heck of a class. O'Malley, do we have you back? I was trying to prattle on here until we got O'Malley back <laughs> to talk about Notre Dame basketball recruiting. But uh, your thoughts on Notre Dame's basketball recruiting class? What are they doing recruiting? This is something else. Two years in a row. Yeah, really good. Uh, and and it, this outweighs this outweighs last year, although. Oh yeah, you know yeah. Wesley's really good in it. You know I, we can look back now. The current senior class was a bit overrated. Carmody got hurt, uh, a bit overrated, like in terms of the depth of talent of a guy like Goodwin. Uh, but this is legit, led by Starling. It is, and it's you can tell when Mike Bray says they will play as freshmen, and it's not only because they absolutely have to. I mean, he has he'll have some guys coming back. Yeah, year, you know, I don't know that they're, yeah, they're not going to, they're probably not going to have to because Ryan and Wirtz and, and maybe Leshevsky is the key, whether he comes back or not. If he yeah. doesn't come back, Campbell and Lubin absolutely are playing right away. Well, yeah, and I, I think they'll play anyway, just becoming the complimentary, you know, complimentary pieces to Leshevsky. If Leshevsky comes back, it's because they have plans for him to kind of have a, he will have had, a, I think he will have had a good year if he comes back. Does that make sense? Uh, how so? Well, in that he's not going to the NBA. No, but he may he, he could probably go to Europe and play for 
a long time and he could do that he, next I, I year. think so too but i think he could do that after maybe having another really good year at Notre Dame and they make a kind of a run situation. You could, I'm saying you, if you're talking Leshevsky into something, it might be like, you know, we could have something really good next year. We're jumping far ahead. Leshevsky hasn't had yeah. a good year so yeah. far, but yeah, it's uh it's, it's certainly a surprise from you never thought there was going to be another great recruiting class under Mike Bray, right? About two oh, years absolutely. ago. No. About yeah. Ago. You're, yeah. You're right. You know, and I are talking about Leshevsky. I mean, Let's be real here. I don't know that he's ever an NBA player. I don't know that he has the the demeanor to be an right. NBA player. You know, I mean, he's a six ten shooter is valuable in the NBA all the time, but I don't know that he quite has the makeup and demeanor of an NBA player. So whatever, one step at a time. They open Saturday against Cal State North Northridge, and let's see if they can get in the NCAA tournament. I said it last podcast, if this team isn't in the NCAA tournament, it's, yeah. it's, it's criminal. Plus they have, um, I mean, with, with Maui and a couple and playing three games there, you like to see them obviously make a run and Kentucky, you get to know a lot about them. You know, we're going to know a lot about in Illinois and Illinois uh, for the uh, ACC big 10, you get to know a lot about them early and it will be the right type of preparation for the ACC last, you know, last year was kind of silly, but um, he thought they'd be a little better. I think last year when he, when he set that schedule up. Yeah. Yeah. All right, coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Galavan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more. Segment two, burning up the boards. Start with a question from a familiar name, Terry Benedict. After North Carolina, Brian Kelly said you can't stop everything with that offense. I would think Virginia is similar offensively. What will Notre Dame give up this weekend that will drive fans crazy? Maybe we, maybe, maybe we should like just be prepared for these possibilities <laughs> so you're not driven crazy. Yeah. Because, you know, if they have Armstrong, it's, there's going to be yards gained here against any think- defense. I think there will be, let's say there's, there will be four. This will be, I'm going to, you know, intrude on O'Malley's over under territory, <laughs> over under four of Virginia converting third and 10 or more via the pass. You, yeah, you went where I was going to go, that the third downs you should stop. Um, this is all assume everything we say assumes Armstrong until we talk about something without Armstrong, right? But, Third third downs you should stop. They they throw one in there that other quarterbacks have not is yes. is something I get you get used to. Um, the one the caveat there is you know when it's third and eight and he's he's not taking off running. I wouldn't think maybe he's healthy enough or just physically mentally tough enough to. He's going to run on third and eight. You know what I mean? Like he sees it open up. I can go get nine yards and get to the ground. That yeah. that's going to be a, a balancing act for him that I think is going to be fascinating. That's kind of. I guess Brian Kelly wasn't going to answer my question directly because it goes to strategy without me thinking that want to know, like, what do you, how do you prepare for a quarterback? That's a great runner that really shouldn't be running. And you'll know, you'll know within a quarter, if he's going to run a half a quarter, if he's going to run, right. Cause right. you're going to give him a lane at some point and when he doesn't take it or he just shies away from it, then you know, he's not himself. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, well, first of all, Virginia is number one in the country in 20 yard, plus runs yeah. or plays pass have, plays. Yeah. They have 76. <laughs> That's a bunch, man. That's a lot. And then in terms of 30 yard plays, they're 11th with, with 28. One thing 
you know, I, 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 they do have the wide splits with their offensive line. So Telepapa is going to, that might drive people crazy. Yeah. That they're running back snaps one off just because you're, you're going to drop seven and eight frequently. And because of their wider splits, theoretically there's there are opportunities for him to gash that a little bit but yeah it's it's an interesting situation you say they're going to gash you a little bit like drew white's got to play less right as much as i wrote it i mean i, I incredibly admire his toughness and his dedication to everything well, when you like, have a guy, yeah you've got a guy like yeah. bo bauer you would think that there there would be a trust factor at this stage with bo bauer right. and your other guy with you know, he comes into the interview the other day. He didn't have the brace on the right shoulder, but he still had the brace on the left knee. Um, you know, you got, I mean, he's got some balance now. He, he, he got the knee injury to balance him out with the shoulder with the labor. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, I was just going to say like Bo Bauer watching the North Carolina game back. I don't think he played particularly well. Um and I do wonder, and they, they did this late in the game, like Jack Kaiser became sort of the dime linebacker. Mm-hmm. If that is a better place I to think go. I think it is. I think it is. Defensively. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. So be prepared for the uh, 76 plays of 20 yards. I mean, that's about what they've played uh, nine games. So seven of those a game, seven or eight of them. That's. Yeah. That's a bunch, man. That's a bunch. Irish from A2. How do you defend Brendan Armstrong? What would you try to take away first? The run of the pass. And this has obviously changed a bit, but I think we have some alternate answers too. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know that you, okay. First of all, and I, and I, I, I don't say this with a 100% certainty because I haven't seen every snap that Virginia has run, but North mm-hmm. Carolina, North Carolina has, let, let's just say Armstrong was healthy. Even if he were healthy, North Carolina has more design runs for Sam Howell than Virginia has design runs for, for Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. I just think he's a, uh, he turns a lot of good stuff. He turns a lot of things, something into nothing or nothing exactly. into something. Exactly. Very well, yes, is, exactly. That's yeah. more likely with him than I think Howell were, you know, Howell is more uh, quarterback draws and read option design runs and stuff like that. Um, so you know, and I, but he isn't completely healthy, so he isn't going to run. Brian Kelly talked about what they did with, with Ian Book yeah. when he had the lacerated, uh, what was it? Kidney. Kidney. It was, I was yeah. going to say liver. That was a, that was a Jim McMahon from way, way. Yeah, that's, back. A, that's, a, that's a real injury right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lacerated kidney. Um, so, but, you know, I mean, you have to, you can quote, try to take away the pass, but the only way you're really going to take away the pass is if you get a pass rush. No, exactly. Pete's been talking about it. I mean, Notre Dame is without their number one pass defender. I know he was, I know they're without their number one pass defender against USC and North Carolina, but our point has been, this is going to be spread around in a way that we have not seen yet this year. I mean, I think it's going to be frustrating that, you're going to see Houston Griffith one-on-one. I mean, you're going to see Houston Griffith one-on-one. You're going to see DJ Brown one-on-one. I trust DJ Brown more, but I don't trust DJ Brown to the point of I'm happy to have him out there against a healthy Armstrong, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And USC had one real quality wideout in North Carolina. Yeah, you Carolina can game plan for One it. real quality wideout. So, Dontavian like, Wicks. Go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, like, imagine having to do a game plan for Drake London and uh, Josh Downs at the same time. Right. Right. Maybe or, not at that level, but not 
entirely far away. You know, or London and Kemp or Downs and Wicks. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it, and it goes deeper than that because they have a six, seven, 270 pound tight end. Who's not just a big guy out there, you know, crashing around. He's, 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 he's wide receiver like, and then I'm, you know, I'm not Thompson's, here we go. I know we're going to be accused again of, 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 you know, overplaying the opponent, but when you see Keaton Thompson as well, you're going to see how difficult he is to, to bring down. Yeah. Just Dontavian Wicks is a 23 yards a catch. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's five yards more per catch than anyone else in the top 10. And interestingly enough, Notre Dame is, this will be the fourth guy in the top 10 um, in terms of total receptions yeah. that Notre Dame plays this year. You it's, know, that's nuts. You know, people I say, um, you know, well, you know, I hope he plays because we want to get them at their best. I'm not saying that this week about Brett. For Brett, <laughs> Brett no, I'm sorry. no, I'm not. I'm not. You, somebody else can say that. I'm not going to say that. Question from JJ Allwine. Are the 2022 starting safeties on the current roster? And if they are, is that the weak point of next year's team? I think it's the weak point of next year's team. Um, I think I think DJ Brown will start next year on Notre Dame. Don't you guys? I think here. I think grad transfers are definitely in order here. At least one, yeah. and and, and I, you know I think you should get two. I'm with you. I think one is guaranteed, and I think you should get two. But DJ Brown's going to have a leg up to start just with everything. He's a he's a solid backup safety that would be returning as a starter. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you so got to guys no. way better than him. Yeah. yeah. The answer is yes, no. Yeah. Yeah. Next year's starting safeties are not on the team. Only one of them is. Maybe. You know, I guess I'm kind of looking at Xavier Watts and saying, okay, this is a really great athlete who has a background as a safety, not just as a receiver coming in. And, um, you know, I don't want to base it upon what he did against a triple option team, but but you sure liked his aggressiveness and his ability to get from point A to point B. And if he's a good, if he's a quick study, he's a good study. He's got a whole year to do it. You know, maybe he emerges as a starter, but They've got they've got to go into the grad transfer, the transfer portal, and and get get at least one safety. Right, and it it could work out that they do have a one A and one B like Marcus Freeman likes. Now, every time he says we want one A and one B, um, that doesn't that means you don't have a Kyle Hamilton or a Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, and he he acknowledged that. But if Xavier Watts could support another safety, and if DJ Brown could support another safety, or if a safety could support Xavier Watts, you know, if, if you could find a way for these guys to support each other and have four decent safeties, I think that that is not the weak point anymore because you can do a lot of stuff with guys that are solid on the back line at safety. Think of it this year. They haven't been totally exposed this year and they have not had Kyle Hamilton for guess no, maybe doesn't count, but you know, something they, they else. Yeah. Something else to consider is Clarence Lewis at safety. Yeah, I'd love you, to see him. Have you heard? Have, no, I saw it on the board, and I was mad I didn't think of it. So I, I congratulated the person. I, Pete, have you heard about that? I have, I have not. I just – it's almost – you're in a similar boat where, like, well, who are your starting corners? Like, they just – they have more corners than they have safeties, but it's yeah. not like they have 10 corners and one safety. No, I you know? agree. I, I do believe that there are some legs to – there's some truth to the possibility mm-hmm. of Lewis ending up at safety. So that would help that situation. And then, you know, then, okay. So now you, you, you have to bring Bracey back. You know, Kari G is a really physically talented guy that could be in the equation at safety. Although we haven't heard any of that possibility 
you know, this year, KJ Wallace, he's in his third year in a program. I'm not sure that how much progress he's made there. That's yeah, next. there would be, there's some transfers coming in. I mean, I coming mean, out, a, transfers got, leaving too. Um, oh, we have that yeah. question. Okay. Yeah. There are, we have hours and hours and hours of talking about the safety position <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah. It's the inside linebacker from 2000. And uh, was that 2019, right? Who's going to play inside linebacker? Yeah. Maybe we could give another, uh, it'd be the offensive line. Give me your starting <laughs> offensive line in March. <laughs> That'll be more fun this time around. Yeah. yeah. Pin and Paul Fisher. <laughs> Pin and Paul asks, with Avery Davis out for the remainder of the season, what formations and personnel grouping should we expect to see more of down the stretch? I I don't think that they're going to change a whole lot, honestly. I, I think that they will roll with 11 personnel. That's what they're in most of the time. You know, maybe you turn the dial a little bit towards 12 personnel, but I mean, for how, I, much, uh, how much time we spend on 21 personnel, I think we overtalked that uh, as a potential part of the offense. It just has not clicked. I don't, and I don't think they're going to suddenly go to it now. You know, the, the only issue I have with that is I, I love the Lorenzo Styles playing slot. Avery Davis allowed you to run out of three wide more so than Lorenzo Styles will as a freshman blocker. Mm-hmm. I think you just rely on Davis. So I don't love going to 12. I think George Takis has improved all season as a blocker, but it still doesn't threaten the defenses enough, you know? Um, I mean, they could probably absolutely muckle Stanford if they want to use 12 personnel the entire game to the point where they would quit in the third quarter. But I do think you just need some more – in this game especially, you need points. And I think Styles and, and three guys out there is pretty important. Yeah, one of the issues with Styles is he moves, number one, moves to a different position, is work yeah. volume. You know, you don't want him right. taking 60 snaps, but Brian Kelly has said from the very beginning that his work volume is very good. So, um, I mean, just the one thing that I would add is I think that we're going to see Williams and Tyree in the slot more, which is one way to deal with uh, personnel groupings, one way to deal yeah. with work volume for Styles. Um, you know, does Salerno actually get some snaps? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility. He got um, in there against uh, North Carolina. Yeah, but that was just, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know how, how many snaps that actually was. But for right, me, it would right. be Tyree Williams in the slot. That that would deal with, you know, Styles not having to, to pile up too many snaps and and uh, just giving you a little bit more versatility. And I love the idea. I don't know if we'll see more than four or five snaps of it, but I love the idea of Colsey at W and Austin at X with Styles in the slot at times, like Brian Kelly referenced. That just, that sounds like too much fun August camp three writers sitting around trying to well, make an offense, but Brian <laughs> Kelly said it. So I'm proud of him. I mean, you might, you might with, with what has happened at the position with injuries and, and I don't, you know, we, I don't want to exclude Lenzer from the equation, but, but Colsey Austin styles may is probably your three most talented receivers, yeah. you know, on the field at once that, that are available to you right now. Next from M. Malham, what's the feeling inside the Goog about Tyler Buckner being an upper echelon college quarterback? Are they confident he will turn into what they thought of him as a recruit? I, Pete, you want to go ahead and answer that first? Yes. Yeah. I think that they're incredibly confident about where that's going, which is not to say that they always were. Um, I wrote about this today. Like Buckner was sort of steered and like, could you talk to Ian Book? Or Ian, could you talk to Tyler about this? Because um, in January and February, it just it didn't look right. Um, there was a little pause think, in January and February. Yeah, and the staff was concerned. Like, uh, all right, 
this isn't this isn't what we thought. Um, now it's what they thought. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've said this a bunch on this podcast. Like, Notre Dame's two goals for the season: one, win ten games; two, get to a point where you know Tyler Buckner is the guy moving forward. And I think that they are on the verge of checking both of those boxes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that. Well, certainly he's. I mean, he's proven that he's everything they could have hoped for in the running game, both in terms of quickness to get around the edge. He had that third and one last Saturday. He had that third and one where it doesn't look like it's going to work, and he's just so damn quick to the edge that it's a first down and you keep moving the chains. And then the ability, the power to be able to run through some things. So, I mean, I think that part is is all in order. Initially, in you know, initially when he got there, it was like, okay, is he everything we thought he was in the passing game? And I still think he has a lot to prove there. For but when sure. he's when he's tightened over the top, he's pretty damn good and, yeah. and 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 much more accurate that way. Now, there's a lot that he needs to learn and see, and it was really enlightening talking to him Tuesday because he's, I mean, how about that? Did they try it out? I mean, they tried out. She's, they've done a great job of bringing out. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we're, we're only Buckner short and Alt, yeah. Buckner, Alt, and Styles within the last couple of weeks, and I, I mean, they couldn't be any more impressive in their ability to to handle the questions, to to listen to what you're saying, and answer. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've all been very, very impressive in that regard. So, um, so in terms of you know, intelligence and running ability and promise in the passing game, yeah, I, you know, is he now, of course, like always, you know, next year we're going to see all the blemishes well, because he's playing all the time. And so then you'll say, okay, well, maybe he isn't everything we thought he was. Well, yeah, that's because players make good players and players are forced to make bad plays too. But I, I think that he has a lot of the ingredients that they're looking for. I have a current blemish for you, and I really like Tyler Buckner. Um, he completed his first pass on third down this past week to Kevin Austin. How many opportunities? How many other ones? Three picks. Oh, of seven. Oh, wow. Oh, of seven, three picks. Oh, wow. So obvious passing situation is what they call it. That means the defense was preparing for Tyler Buckner to pass, and that's the first time he completed one. So that really doesn't have a lot to do with next year, but it does have to do with now when you say, why isn't Tyler Buckner just taking over a quarterback? It's obvious passes. Yeah, I was. it's something I, I was doing the film review. I'm like, I cannot remember him completing a third down pass. And sure enough, there was a drop. So he would be one of, there was a drop, okay. but um, that's, that's what he'll be working on for the next nine months. Right. Like, and I don't, I don't yeah. think, I don't think that's startling enough when you add everything else up to think that he's not going no. to be capable no, no. Just of third down moving forward, but more of a, what if Jack Cone gets hurt uh, on the third play yeah. against Virginia, get ready for some third down issues. If it's not third and four. Yeah. Great staff. Startling enough to give the staff credit for sticking with them. Um, yeah, because like, yeah. I would think that most staffs, including this one and other years, would be like, "All right, that's enough." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's check back on this in spring. Yeah. Question from BWAC twenty nine. In terms of red zone offense, is there something that we as fans are missing in terms of how opposing defenses cover Michael Mayer in the red zone? It seems like he doesn't get nearly enough targets near the goal line. Uh, and then on a related note, is Kevin Bauman healthy? Let's just go ahead and answer that. Yeah, he was in. He, 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 he dressed last week um, and is fit and ready to go. I don't know how much they're yeah. going to use him at this stage with them using limited tight ends and Tackus being established with Mayer. 
uh, but he is he's back in uniform and ready to go. So I think, um, go ahead, Tim. On, on Bauman, I think Bauman is healthy enough where if he was Michael Mayer, he'd be playing and getting the ball. But he was a guy that did not have catches yet, and he's a second and a half string tight end. So they don't get him in there. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. But you got to yeah, get these. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was well behind Tackus at the end of Like I, we, we caught talking to people in the group. We caught Bauman on some really good days in August. Mm-hmm. Those weren't, that wasn't every day. Um, well, that's kind of what I suspected at the time, but you know, I mean, we don't get many opportunities to report on him, and he was great. Yeah. And so you report yeah. that he was yeah. great on this particular day. Um, if I could jump in here, because this was a question I asked two red zone questions of Brian Kelly on Monday, one about offense, one about defense, one about offense being now number four in the country. And they're really, really good at it. And it's still being a problem um, offensively. And, and he talked about, he, he said these things when I was asking about the defense and what they, what they did. And he said, they've done a lot. They've done a great job of not giving uh, customary looks, I guess, to, uh, you know, for pre-snap reads and he used a lot of, you know, football terminology about, you know, bracketing a guy and they, they use man and they look like they're in zone. They use zone and they look like they're in man. They double zone. They've taken away the fade by showing them one thing and then gaining outside leverage, you know, after the snap of the football. So these are all things that Michael Mayer has to deal with. I would imagine you, I'm sure that they, and I can't answer for sure how much, defenses have done this but certainly they're bracketing him when they get into the shadow of the the goal line hey i mean he's their best player so they put two people on him i mean right. that's i think the crux of it. i mean we've got a long way from the toledo game where they singled him up with a linebacker with an empty space win the in game. the middle of the field like to win the what? game yeah i was like <laughs> i was almost offended by toledo's defensive choices um other people have been way smarter than that dealing with mayor. So it, um, they're like in the red zone, they know Notre Dame wants to go to him because why wouldn't you? And then you put two guys on him and you make somebody else beat you. And Brian Kelly said this preseason, I think more than once, if we don't have somebody other than mayor and Austin, we're really going to struggle. And there have game, there have been games where they have not had somebody other than mayor and Austin and they've struggled. They kind of don't still. I mean, Kyron Williams is the other one down for making. Yeah. You don't you don't look to Braden Lindsay for catches in the red zone, although he made a really nice catch on that two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Styles can become that. Avery, and Avery Davis, they look to that. Yeah. Avery Davis was underrated. I mean, we all know, we all think Lorenzo Styles is going to be a fantastic player and is already a good player, but Davis was a security blanket down there too. I wouldn't expect the red zone offense to get better without Avery Davis. No, yeah, I don't. I don't get caught up in how many touchdown passes this guy has as, as long as, you know, as long as you're being efficient in the red zone, well, they're not being efficient in the red zone. Yeah. So then it becomes, then it, then it creates a question from BWAC 29 about why aren't they getting the ball more to Michael Mayer? And, and I mean, obviously they're doing things with, with guys over the top to defend him. And it, it my point is I, it, it, I don't, it does not matter who gets in the end zone in the red zone, but it's not happening. So, and they're running the football into the end zone more than they were in the first month of the season, which is a huge step forward, but it, it still is a problem when you're, what, what was the stat in the 22 games that Tommy Reese has been the offensive coordinator, they have scored more than 50% of the time in the red zone in just half of those games, 11 games. And that's just, 
it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Tim, you would, could be concerned about how many touchdowns somebody has if Michael Mayer was the fourth tight end since you've been covering Notre Dame. You predicted would beat the Ken McAfee record for touchdowns. Then you would care. I, I'm I never understand. doing it again. I'm never doing it again. Never I understand again. you're so, you're invested in a way that I'm not invested in. It. Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert, Cole Komet, and Michael Mayer, and they can't get there for crying out loud. It's just over. It's depressing. Philip underscore G, who is also known somehow as Jim underscore Booney. Don't know what happened here. What happens well, first? Because well, he sent this. He sent this one on one in from his phone. And I got you. Yeah. What his Instagram account? What happens first? A Logan Diggs hundred yard game or a Deion Colsey touchdown? Now everybody, not everybody, a bunch of people on our message board jumped in on this, and uh, and I disagree. What What are your thoughts? I think Diggs. Uh, I agree, Diggs as well. I think Diggs okay. is happening this week. Now, th- now, okay, now think about this. How many? How many? How many touches does Logan Diggs need in order to get over 100 yards? And how many I, touches does Deion Colson score touchdowns? Uh, yeah, Ooh. I think it's. I, how I many think touches? It's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think it's happening it this week. It just takes I one think, pass to Deion Colsey. Yeah, mathematically, yes. Kyron Williams playing some slot gets Diggs six, five more carries, six more carries. That's. They could both go over 100 yards rushing if Notre Dame decides that's the plan yeah. of attack against Virginia. Well, Diggs, Diggs is getting more opportunities for touches yeah. now, but. Um, yeah. I feel like neither are going to happen this year. <laughs> that's that that could very well be. I that's why I think Colsey it just takes one pass. I think it's more likely just an, from an odd standpoint, it just takes one pass. And Colsey's moved yeah. up in the in the right, and now he's too. going. Yeah. yeah, now he's going yep. to play more. So theoretically, he that's the second time he used theoretically, uh, he will probably get more than more targets than he uh, than he has been. Jayrick 68. If Notre Dame had completed a fourth quarter comeback for a tight win against Cincinnati and found themselves nine and zero. Where do you think the college football playoff committee would have had the Irish ranked at this point? That would have been a, been a pretty fun fourth quarter, I might add, to watch. Yeah, that would have been wild. I think uh, Drew Pine definitely would have started at Virginia Tech. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the whole thing would be different, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> okay, well, let's see. They wouldn't be ahead of Georgia and uh, – they wouldn't be ahead of Georgia and Alabama, even with the Alabama loss. Maybe third. Uh, Maybe third. I don't, I don't think they would be ahead of Oregon. Would they be ahead of Ohio State? Yeah. You'd think they'd split. Or Ohio State lost at home. I, I, uh, yeah. And no. they, Ohio State has not looked great other than when they started murdering some right. people right after the loss. I, I think Notre Dame would be third. I accept Pete's answer is fourth. I don't think they'd be fifth. I, okay. I, didn't, I haven't. I'm had torn a between fourth and fifth because it's like, I think when we when fans do this, they just look at it like, well, I mean, Oklahoma really struggled at Kansas, and they and then when we do this, we're like, well, what about Notre Dame struggling at Florida State, Toledo? Those teams are not good. Um, you know, that's still matter. Just but Notre Dame is playing better now than it was earlier in the year, and I, I do think people notice if you if you watch the Dog and Pony Show on ESPN every Tuesday night with the rankings, like. When Notre Dame comes up, it's it's Notre Dame playing well. It's Notre Dame really. It's Notre Dame, the team that handled its business last weekend. Um, so I think Notre Dame is on on the way up there in terms of national perception. I haven't had an opportunity to pontificate on the ranking of Michigan ahead of Michigan State on the podcast. Let's use wrote, it right now. I, I really i i i wrote about in today's Thursday thoughts. I, Look, I, I just I think 
when you do that, you're playing God. I, I mean, I, you, we're not paying. When we stop paying attention to scores of head to head that happened a week earlier, you can't. Yeah, look, yeah, and, and, okay, is Michigan <laughs> better than Michigan State? I believe that that's absolutely correct. But you can't you can't use that criteria when they just played, and and Michigan blew a sixteen point lead in the fourth quarter. Did they were was there a call or two that went against him that maybe shouldn't have? I agree with that, but I once I, and I understand like AP voters doing this because those are independent voters and they're not gathered in a room like a committee. Uh, once the committee starts making decisions like this, then save your money on scoreboard. No, your scoreboards can just be video boards. You don't need to put scores on them because I think you're just going too far then. You know, you make a good point about the voter situation because this committee is supposed to be really good at evaluating all these things. Like that is their job. They watch everything. In fairness, like how many AP voters are there? 40? I'm just going to say 40. Is it 60? There's more. Whatever. Not every AP voter takes the same amount of care they to go can't. down and do they their can't. rankings. They've they got a team to cover. Some are, some are probably great at it. Some probably spend a two-hour chunk Sunday going over everything and have charts and have everything. And some probably look and see the score who won and they don't like that Notre Dame barely beat Toledo in week 10 and they, they just vote, but the yes. committee cannot be like that. It, it's. And the I mean, how, do you, is just how do you guys feel about specifically Michigan being ahead of Michigan state? I don't understand it. Um, I'm not all that worked up about it because it's sixth and seventh. Um, yeah, on November 11th, here we are. And I, I also like Michigan State should be out of Michigan. I, but I would say, I think you, you use the word setting a precedent or the phrase setting a precedent in your Thursday thoughts. Like, I disagree with that because the committee changes every year. And like, you see these criteria change all the time. So it's like, but what, is that the not the that first they time it, they'll, that it will change again? Is that not the first time that actually has happened? I don't know. I, in this um, recent, in a recent game, Ohio it's got to be. You know, it's certainly the first time I can remember it happening. Um, I, I don't know what happened with, which I had this, with uh, Baylor and TCU. And God, what year was that? 2015, where like TCU dropped from fourth to seventh, despite winning its okay. final game, like 52 to three. But that's um, not this. That's not this. When I say precedent, that's not the same thing. Yeah, no, I, well, what I'm saying is like nothing – the committee is not setting any precedents about anything because the mid, committee changes every year, and a couple of years from now it's going to be a 12-team playoff anyway. So, like, yeah. they change the criteria almost annually about what they emphasize. So I would hope after this year they would emphasize head-to-head more because this situation is, is stupid. Tim. It just happens. It just happens. It just happened. Like, they just played the game. It just happened. Like, I, I want to go back to the Notre Dame-Michigan thing that was always so ridiculous because Notre Dame was undefeated. And people were yes. saying, well, if Michigan played again, then beat them. Okay, great. Uh, if Notre Dame had <laughs> one loss, I would accept your argument. Undefeated. Like, it, and that would, but I would accept the argument that Michigan, I don't think it's true, but I, people that said Michigan is better than Notre Dame before that Syracuse game. Remember that Notre Dame wasn't playing great. Syracuse mm-hmm. was kind of the one that hammered at home. You can make the argument Michigan was playing better than Notre Dame before Notre Dame killed Syracuse and Michigan lost by half a hundred to Ohio State. But you couldn't make the argument that one team didn't have a loss and one team was undefeated. Like that was exactly. And this right. just and but this just happened. 
Like if so Michigan you, game one, if Michigan State comes back to beat Michigan and everything else has happened since, then you can say, ah, this is tough. I mean, you know, it happened eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. They, they literally are the same teams right now. We you guys, so you guys are like Cincinnati cannot drop below Notre Dame if they lose a game then? Well, okay, that therein therein lies the problem because like we're talking about who do we who it'll be seven weeks ago after uh, going into this week right <laughs> six weeks ago yeah well i mean it could be seven weeks six about five weeks from now for the michigan michigan state dynamic does that but it's, I mean, it's happened that the now. deal breaker two weeks i don't know but it's happened now that's the point it just happened I mean, these yeah, committee just watched that game yeah. it's dumb i don't like it i'm just saying like if how what what's the time well because oregon lost well, yeah because no, oregon lost to stanford that's that's what's at issue here and i mean Stanford's i can give you off that I and Oregon you, is still ahead of Ohio State. <clears throat> right, but the, yeah, that's amazing. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Notre Dame's a Power 5 team that will play 10 Power 5 programs. Cincinnati's a group of five team that will play two, right? Yeah. I just yeah. made the argument. Notre Dame won't play, what, they played one ranked team, Wisconsin, and Purdue's in there for now until – yeah, and potentially yeah. lose to Ohio State. But so. I, I, I know it's not easy, and I, and I, I stress by saying there have been 28 teams selected for the playoffs, and I've agreed with all 28. I have. I want. I, I do want to every year. And I hope I didn't sound like I think Notre Dame should be an over undefeated Cincinnati. I meant one yeah. loss. Pete has one loss Cincinnati. So yeah, right. Yeah, and this yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no discussion. No, no. We're, this has nothing to do with Notre Dame, and this, this has nothing to do with where Notre Dame's ranked or anything along those lines. Uh, you know, because as soon as we start, as soon as we start making definitive statements like this, then people on the outside say, well, you're just saying that because, and then tie it into a Notre Dame situation. And it has nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with Notre Dame. I just, I just don't think that this, I don't think that this should happen as long as they, and I realize that as long as they get the right four at the end of the year, that's all that matters. We're veering off this topic and I want to get, we want to, we're, um, we got to get back to the remaining questions. Another, Ed, did I ask the RB Irish question? No, nope. didn't. You have to pick one team in the top nine to lose this weekend. Who is it? Uh, who do I think? I mean, it, who, go ahead, what Dave. do we want to accomplish out of this? Comedy? Or, I don't know. Uh, let me get. Let me or, or do, do both. Benefits. Let me real quickly tell you who each one is playing. Georgia's at Tennessee. Alabama's playing New Mexico State. Oregon's playing Washington State. Ohio State's playing Purdue. Cincinnati's at. South Florida, Michigan's at Penn State, Michigan State hosts Maryland, Oklahoma's the only one of the top 10 that's playing a ranked team, and they're at Baylor, number 13, Notre Dame's at uh, Virginia, and Oklahoma State's playing TCU. So there's there's two that I want to happen, th- and there's this one that is I think about, will. Yes, so now this is about Notre Dame and what benefits Notre okay. Dame the most. Okay. The one I think will happen, or I had to take one to happen, I don't know if Michigan Penn State counts because it's a it's a one point spread, but um, I think Baylor is going to get Oklahoma. If they the don't, one I, the one I want to will. happen is who do you say Alabama's playing? New Mexico, New Mexico State. State. I want that one to happen because that would be awesome. <laughs> and number, number, two, number two would be it would be really funny if Purdue wins again. Well, and then this ties into okay, let's say, and it's not going to happen, let's say South Florida beats. Cincinnati. So Cincinnati has defeated Notre Dame, and, and they Cincinnati are way just behind lost Notre South Dame. Florida. They're way behind Notre Dame. They fall way behind Notre Dame. They plummet. I think I think that they would. Yes. Yeah. 
I think that they would too, even though we just spent right five minutes on exactly the logic of that. Exactly. So I'm uh, I'm but, being yeah, a little best, bit best hypocritical win, there, but best win for Notre Dame would be Purdue over Ohio State. Um, it because it would really throw uh, some gas on the fire of the SEC championship game. Georgia losing to Tennessee, I think, would be really interesting because then everybody would feel a little bit vulnerable. And right now, mm-hmm. Georgia is sort of viewed as like a team in sort of party of one right now. Yeah, really good question by RBI Irish. And we're going to wrap up before we make our predictions with the Irish Rover. Uh, and that is, if Notre Dame beats Virginia, should Irish fans start making travel plans to Atlanta or Glendale? I'm ready. I'm ready to pull the trigger if Notre Dame I win either Virginia. way. I win either way. <laughs> uh, right, Pete? I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about it. It, um, I would say neither that, um, you, what you need to do is it's does Cincinnati make the playoff or not. That ultimately is what's going to decide where Notre Dame goes. If Cincinnati makes the playoff, Notre Dame, I think will almost certainly go to the Fiesta Bowl. If Cincinnati misses the playoff, Cincinnati goes to the Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame wouldn't get a rematch with them. And then it would go to Atlanta. Um, so if you want, if you want Notre Dame to play the best opponent possible, uh, other than Ohio State, and for O'Malley's uh, delicate <laughs> sensibilities, um, then he wants Cincinnati to make the playoff, Notre Dame to go to the Fiesta Bowl, and then they could end up with like a Michigan or Michigan State. What Pete said, I need Purdue to do some dirty work. Let's well, keep the Buckeyes that, out of my life. So Notre Dame beating Virginia doesn't actually answer the question. No, no, no. I mean, Notre Dame but losing they, to Virginia would, though. Yeah, yeah. And why don't you go ahead and share what you – uh, I believe will happen uh, yeah, so, there. So I think that there's a perception out there that if Notre Dame falls out of the New Year's Six entirely, that they have to go to either the Cheez-It Bowl, formerly the Camping World Bowl, formerly the Champ Sports Bowl, or the Gator Bowl, so Orlando or Jacksonville, which is not actually true. Um, I talked to people at the Holiday Bowl, and they said that they have every bit – they have so they're in the same tier as the Gator and the Cheez-It Bowl in terms of selection process for the ACC after the playoff. So um, my, I haven't talked to people at Notre Dame about this, but I could almost guarantee you that they would prefer to go to San Diego uh, over Florida for a third bowl in five years as O'Malley raising his hand, but also prefer that. Um, yes. So that would draw Notre Dame against PAC 12, number three, which it would be, you know, kind of an Arizona State or a UCLA, not a terrible brand to play against. Um, so if they're out of the New Year's Six, could be San Diego. Don't worry about it. They don't play at Qualcomm Park anymore because it doesn't exist. They actually played downtown at the Padres Baseball Stadium. But did they tear that down? They, they should did. have. They tore oh, down? Yeah. Oh, it's been turned down for a couple of years. I thought right they after, were. Right after I you thought left, they I thought they were in the process yeah. of tearing it down when we went there. For the Navy game. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, I mean, the condition that it was in at the time. I, hopefully, man, is, hopefully they saved that scoreboard for repurposed I, it for future and, use. And I'm not one to like criticize facilities because they cost a lot to build. And I realize that, but that <laughs> place was an absolute dump. All right. On that note, predictions for this weekend, Notre Dame at Virginia. I predict um, I'd rather I'd predict I'd rather cover Notre Dame Navy at a high school field in San Diego than worry about anything. I'm happy to cover it in Qualcomm again as it has been raised. Wow, true. Just send me back out there. Everybody, yes, we Parking would all lot. we would all love <laughs> another trip to San Diego, no doubt about it. Predictions? I'm this is made with Brennan Armstrong starting 
and playing, but not having some miraculous recovery where he no longer has a cracked rib. Um, I had Notre Dame 42, Virginia 34. I think Virginia will score uh, a lot. I think they will put up a bunch of yards. And I think if, if Notre Dame had not figured out itself offensively, I think Notre Dame would lose this game. I think if Brendan Armstrong was 100% and had not been injured, I think Notre Dame would lose this game. But for Notre Dame's benefit, both of those things have happened. They figured out themselves offensively, and Brendan Armstrong is going to be 100%. So um, I think Notre Dame will be efficient and get over the line, which is their last major hurdle of the season. So 42-34 Notre Dame wins. As I have said a few times, this was my Notre Dame's one loss. I had predicted for the season and it was because of Brendan Armstrong and all these wide receivers running around. Um, I also, it was also in place because I thought they'd be undefeated and there'd be a lot more pressure and everybody's like, well, how could an undefeated team lose out there? That's when teams lose when you're not supposed to lose and all the pressure's on you. That's how teams lose. So uh, I don't think Armstrong can be Brendan Armstrong. He won't be able to run well enough. And more importantly, Pete, you made a great point that Notre Dame has found their offense. This is, if Notre Dame doesn't score in the 40s, something went wrong or they decided they were going to have two six-minute touchdown drives that work out. I have Notre Dame 45, Virginia 35. Um, I wouldn't go lower on the score. I would only go higher. The only thing that gives me cause for pause that they don't add, you know, add up to 80 points that way, sometimes these opening drives by Notre Dame, they're just... They, they can move the ball and not score a la Cincinnati. And I, that is what could keep Virginia in this game is if you're moving down the ball, if you, if you pull a Cincinnati to start this game, then we're in for a long one. Does Virginia have a mod Gardner or no? Well, no, I'm adding, I, it didn't say 17, 13. I said 45, 35. Yeah. No, uh, they, they do not have a mod Gardner. And of course my prediction will be uh, on Friday and uh, wow, that 45, 35. And you're O'Malley, you're assuming like you're saying that he can play and throw plays and throw play and throw. If he can't play, it's going to be Notre Dame 42, Virginia 21. Okay. Well, we, I feel like I don't don't feel like I need to make two predictions. So I'm going to stick with my first one. Okay. Well, I feel almost feel like I have to in tomorrow's preview, but we'll see. We'll, uh, we'll make that decision when the time comes, but we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider O'Malley and Priester pregame uh, when Notre Dame takes on Virginia in Scott Stadium Saturday evening. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.